The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture reading is from John 11, verses 17 through 37. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews were there with her in the house, consoling her, they saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? This is the word of the Lord. Praise Praise be be to Christ. Christ. So before I, thank you, Michelle, before I get into the the sermon today, just want to take a moment to celebrate uh, Christ Pres Church Cool Springs was born a week ago today, and uh, they have their second worship service this morning at 9.30 along the I-65 corridor, and, uh, and you say, yay, <laughs> come on, people. That's exciting. We have three congregations now. Uh, Russ Ramsey, the lead pastor there, came in the office like a kid in the candy shop on Monday morning, just all excited to tell us about their, uh, their start there. There's uh, roughly a couple hundred people that have uh, gone out, mostly from, most, mostly from uh, this congregation, this Old Hickory congregation, to start that, uh, that new expression of, of our church in a new part of town to reach uh, a new population group, uh, speaking of the 100 new people that move uh, to town every single day, uh, uh, what David was saying just a moment ago. But um, we're very excited about that, very excited to be part of uh, whatever God allows us to be part of. And uh, so what I'd like to do is, uh, is turn our attention back to the text that was just read to us. And uh, we're very beginning of a series called Encounters with Christ. And today, we're uh, going to look at the encounter that Christ had with the two sisters 
uh, from Bethany, Mary and Martha, and their dead brother, Lazarus. And uh, there are two experiences that every person in this room has in common. Uh, The first experience is that everybody in here was born. All of us have been born. And the second thing that we all have in common is that all of us are going to die. Uh, We've never been able to beat it. We've never been able to uh, defeat death on our own. And uh, even though this is a universal experience, everybody goes through it, uh, we've never quite gotten used to this guarantee. We've never quite gotten used to this final outcome that uh, is appointed for uh, all of us, and uh, appropriately we resist death when it happens, when we are touched by it, when we are threatened by it. Um, Interestingly, when the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, which is a very long chapter where he, he talks about the promise of resurrection and, uh, and, and new life and uh, the life to come and, and, and heaven and glory and how, you know, everything's going to be wonderful and beautiful and without sin, without sorrow, without illness, without disruption. You'd think that maybe Paul would say, well, death, that, that's your buddy. That's, that's the thing that gets you to this state of forever bliss that the Bible talks about. And so, wouldn't we all want to die? And, and Paul says, no, death is an enemy. Death is a necessary evil. It is the wages or the cost or the price for sin, but it is evil. It's a bully. It's an invasion. It's not part of life. C.S. Lewis, in A Grief Observed, uh, it's sort of his diary uh, during the time uh, that he was grieving the death of his wife, Joy, uh, who died from cancer. And he said this, the death of a beloved or the death of a loved one is an amputation. Her absence is like the sky spread over everything. My idea of God is shattered time after time. He shatters it himself by allowing death. You know, it's like Lewis is asking the same questions that the crowds are asking. You know, this this man, Jesus, who opened the eyes of a blind man, could he not have stopped this death from happening? That's a rhetorical question, and everybody knew the answer was yes. Everybody had seen his power enough to know that he was not only fully human, he was fully God and fully capable of conquering anything, including death. Could he not? So why didn't he? And John chapter 11, most of it, it you know, uh, sort of, uh, uh, you know, chronicles the circumstances around an encounter that he has with grieving sisters, the two sisters, Mary and Martha, whose brother Lazarus has died. So, so rewind four days. Jesus gets news sent to him by, you know, whatever their version of an email was, you know, Telegram or a messenger or, you know, whoever it was brought a message to Jesus, and and the message was this, Lazarus, your dear friend, the one whom you love, is sick. He's dying. 
And, of course, everybody expects Jesus is going to rush to the scene, but He stays put. And he stays quiet for four days, and then His friend dies, and He stays put, and He stays quiet some more. And then there's a burial, and then there's a mourning, and a grieving, and a funeral, and there's the silence of God. Finally, Jesus shows up late to the party. And it's not a party at all. And Martha, when, when she hears that Jesus has arrived, gets up and rushes to Him and gets in His face and says, if, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And Mary, a little bit more passive, a little bit more sanguine, a little bit more pensive, also goes to Jesus when she is summoned to do so and says the same thing. If you had been here, sir, our brother would not have died. It's like the indigo girls in their song, you know, hey Jesus, you know, when, when we call you in our despair, you don't come through. And what Jesus does next is what Tom Douglas says every artist who's a true artist, does with the truth. He doesn't merely tell you the truth, He shows it to you. And so let's talk about how Jesus shows us the truth through one statement, which is really so much more than a statement. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am. This is one of seven I am identity statements that Jesus makes about himself. I am. That's, that's his answer to, if you'd been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Couldn't you who opened the eyes of a blind man have stopped this grievous thing from happening? His answer is, I am. I am. Instead of giving you relief, instead of fixing everything, I give you myself. I'm giving you an upgrade, and you don't recognize it as that at this point, but I am giving you an upgrade. I am, and that's all you need to know. Chapter 10 is a preceding I am statement where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Listen to what he says in chapter 10. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. No one can snatch my sheep out of my hands. My sheep will never perish. Both sisters are saying, you could have fooled us. If you'd been here, our brother would not have died. We call you in our despair. You didn't come through. Where is the evidence that this so-called shepherd is good? If he, if he doesn't even keep the promise he just made, where's the evidence? Show it to us, Lord. Don't just tell us. Show us. And the way he shows the truth to them initially is through what you could call emotional empathy. Jesus emotes. Jesus feels with them. Three feelings. The first is anger. That's his first emotion. Martha's anger with Jesus, where were you, Lord? It, it pales in comparison to Jesus' anger 
toward death. You know, verses 33 and 38, our English translations, most of them say that Jesus was deeply moved in spirit. And I, I can't help but wonder if these are um, translation choices that are more a product of Western Americanism rather than the original intent of the word, because the actual word does not mean moved. It means he was infuriated, quaking with rage quite literally was the feeling that Jesus had around death. Some of us are uncomfortable with the idea that, that God could be angry. He's gentle Jesus, meek and mild, right? Then the Harlem pastor of 50 years said, you know, that, that gentle Jesus, meek and mild of yours wouldn't last five days in my neighborhood. Jesus is furious. This is the same Jesus that had a hissy fit in church and picked up tables and threw them, turned them over because he was so enraged at how the house of God was being corrupted by greedy men. This is the same Jesus who looks in the eye of religious bullies and says, you're snakes, you are whitewashed tombs, you are hypocrites, you're fake, you're not real. He's angry. He's angry at death. He's not keeping his cool. Look, when, when you're attacked or when somebody you love is attacked, do, do you want a tame, gentle, sweet defender? Or do you want somebody who will bow up to the bully? That's what you want. You know, I read this uh, this pamphlet that was handed out in an elementary school, and it's written to students as, as an instruction manual as to what to do if you are bullied. And here's what it says, and I quote, if you are bullied, refuse to get mad. Treat the person who's being mean like they're trying to help you. Do not be afraid. Do not verbally defend yourself. Do not attack. If someone physically hurts you, do not get angry. Do not tell on bullies. Don't be a sore loser. Learn to laugh at yourself. Hashtag me too. That is absurd. How codependent must a person be to write something like this about aggressive, mean people? Sometimes we respond to death like this. We think we're supposed to cozy up to it and get nicey-nice with it and not lose our composure. The West, in the West, we're a lot like the, the Greek Stoics were in this regard. We're, we're much more influenced by Greek Stoic philosophy than we are Jesus theology when it comes to grief. Lament is a key human emotion. God created tear ducts to be used. He created emotions to be emoted. You know, and so often at funerals over the years, my heart has gone out, especially to those family members who, who hold back their tears and, and hold back their sadness because they want to help their guests 
remain comfortable. And I just want to grab them and say, let it out. Scream. Cuss if you have to. Let the tears flow. This moment is not about our comfort. This is about you letting it out and exhaling the sorrow that you feel and for us to be here to pick you up as you do. That's what this is for. That's the Middle Eastern way. It also seems to be the Spirit-filled way. You know, Job's friends, they got all nervous when Job started getting visceral about losing ten children, about ten children dying. Oh, you're getting too emotional on us, Job. Calm down. Chill out. Take a look in the mirror. You are miserable counselors, all of you. You've been given the wrong pamphlet. Death is a bully. When Jesus sees a bully, Jesus confronts. He loses his cool and never loses his character. That's your defender. He is a lamb. He's also a lion who bites hard on aggressors, especially the aggressor of death. Second emotion he feels empathically is sorrow. Mary is sad, and Jesus affirms it with his own tears. This is the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Again, it's very soft. The word means he wailed, he gushed, he sobbed, he lost it. Uncontrollable weeping. In a fallen world, lament is necessary if you want to maintain your humanity. If you want to maintain your godlikeness, lament is necessary. You know, Charlie Peacock has this song from many years ago. Uh, the lyrics go, cry with me. Don't try to fix me, friend. That's how you'll comfort me. You know, there's none like Jesus who will take our tears and treat them as sacred things. The 56th Psalm, it says that He takes our tears and stores them in a bottle. It says that He writes about them in His book. You know, Nicholas Walterstorff, who wrote this book called uh, Lament for a Son, it's the book I give out to everybody who loses a child, and I've had the sad misfortune of giving that book away to a whole lot of people over 23 years of being a pastor. It's a book that he wrote after his son died in a, uh, a, a rock climbing accident at around age 25. And in that lament, he says, we strain to hear God in our sorrows. In other words, we ask, along with the crowds, could not the one who opened the eyes of a blind man have stopped this from happening? We strain to hear God in our sorrows. But instead of hearing an answer, we catch the sight of God Himself. Instead of giving us relief, He gives us Himself. We catch the sight of God Himself, scraped and torn, empathizing. Through our tears, we see the tears of God. Through the tears of God, we see the splendor, the splendor of God. Are you mad? Are you angry? Are you sad? about a world that has gone 
wrong. That's not because there is something wrong with you. It's because there's something right with you. It's not because you are somehow immature. It's because you are more mature. It's not because you are unspiritual. It's because you are spiritual. That you get upset when things are not the way they're meant to be. His third emotion, gladness. Gladness. Verses 14 and 15, this is after Jesus and the disciples have gotten the announcement that Lazarus has died. And Jesus says to his disciples, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad. Not glad that Lazarus is dead. He says, I'm glad for your sake, so that through this you will believe, so that you will be able to see me take what is evil and turn it into good. I I want you to see me do some judo on the devil and use his puny little power against him and turn it on his head. I want you to see that I've given Satan some rope, but only enough with which to hang himself. And I want you to be there to watch. Why? So you'll believe in me. So you'll believe in me. Gladness. You know, Russ Ramsey, we're, we're talking through this text. He and Stacy Croft and I were talking through this text last week. And, and, and Russ says, are, are you guys ever sort of taken aback by how often Jesus is willing to allow himself to be misunderstood by us? It's almost like that's part of his strategy to reach us, is to allow himself to be misunderstood by us. if misunderstanding leads to a stronger soul. Do you remember the movie Ray about Ray Charles? You know, Ray Charles went blind as a young boy. You may remember that scene where he is a young boy and he's going blind and, and he's fallen on the floor and he can't get up and he can't find his way and his mom is just standing there on the other side of the room staring, watching him struggle, saying nothing, doing nothing, not letting Ray even know that, he, that she's there. Where's the helicopter parent when you need her? Where is the mom who's supposed to come in and save the day and make everything okay and easy again? She stays away not because she doesn't love him, but because she does. She stays silent not because she is not for him, but because she is. Because she knows that if he does not figure out a way to wrestle and to limp up back on his feet and learn to walk in the dark and make music in the dark, he will be stunted for the rest of his life. And of course, we know the story of Ray Charles He learned to walk in the dark better than many of us walk in the light. We still play his music today and celebrate it. You know, in 10 minutes, Jesus is going to fix the whole thing. He knows exactly what he's about to do. He doesn't let on at all. He's standing on the other side of the room, quiet, not even letting people know that he's there. Wrestle. Let's see if you can get back up on your feet in dark. Let's see if you can put into practice that psalm you've known for years and memorized as a little kid, as little girls, that even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you, 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 you need to fear no evil because I am with you. Stronger souls are better than smooth circumstances. That's Jesus' posture. And that is so un-American. But that is Jesus' posture. 
Stronger souls, better than smooth circumstances. I am better than having Lazarus back when you want him on your terms. You'll get him back, but you're going to get him back on my terms because I am. I am the resurrection. To Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha says, I know he'll rise again at the resurrection on the last day. Jesus responds, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Present tense, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. You know what he's saying? You know what the subtweet is here? Lazarus, more alive now than he's ever been. That brother of yours whose body, you're right, smells, wrapped up in mummy stuff, he's more alive now than he's ever been. He who believes in me will never die. None who have believed in me have ever died. What happens to you after you die? You know, eternal life, this subject that's introduced so many times in the gospel according to John, it essentially happens in three phases, and, and all of us are in phase one of those three phases. We are in the converted, alive yet still fallen phase. Or what Luther said, you know, you know, we are simultaneously saints and sinners. We live in conflict, and our biggest conflict is with ourselves. You know, we've got the spirit and the flesh warring against each other. We've got the old man and the new man warring against each other. And we're engaged if we are still alive and if we are in Christ. We are engaged in this battle that the great Puritan John Owen described this way, always be killing sin or sin will be killing you. So we're in the conflict phase of eternal life right now. We have been awakened to our need to fight that which is broken and dirty and damaged in us. And He's given us the resource in the gospel and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Phase two is where Lazarus is at this point in time before Jesus calls him out of the tomb. Phase two is what the theologians call the intermediate state. It's what Jesus called paradise. When He looks at the thief on the cross and the thief says, remember me in your glory, and Jesus says, today you're going to be with me after, after we expire, after our bodies expire on these two crosses next to each other, you will be with me in paradise. The Apostle Paul talked about it in Philippians 1. He says, I desire to depart because if I depart, I will be with Christ, which is far better. You could call it disembodied bliss. It, it, it's sort of a vision of, of, of how Eastern religions see the afterlife. The spirit escapes the body, but Eastern religions and Christianity are different in that escape from the body is sort of the final ultimate nirvana. Finally, you, you, you're, you're, you're free from this, this prison that you've been living in, this, this jar of clay. You're free, and you're, you're sort of this ethereal, blissful spirit one with the universe. But there's a next phase for Christ, and it's called resurrection. When Christ returns, the dead in Christ, it says, will rise. 
And those souls that have been in safekeeping in paradise with Him will be reunited with perfected, renewed, restored bodies. God is more materialistic than Madonna. He made the material world. He's a material God. The body is a beautiful thing. The body is meant to be embodied. The difference will will be we will be like Him because we will see Him as He is. And the best clue that we have in terms of what what the resurrected state for us will be is the resurrected Christ Himself who could walk through walls, He could overcome barriers, He could fly, He ascended into heaven. You know, maybe Isaiah was being literal when he says that that, that you you will mount up with wings and soar like eagles. Maybe he really meant that. Maybe you will have wings. Maybe we will be like those avengers with wings, except with nothing to avenge. Immortal, just like the body of Christ. No more death, mourning, crying, or pain. The only thing that will distinguish him is the remaining scars. Jonathan Edwards, pastor, theologian, Princeton president, lived in an era where life expectancy was 35 years old, so you you couldn't afford not to think about death and prepare for it because you were facing it all day long. He wrote this little essay called Heaven, a World of Love, and he starts to describe how the Bible describes heaven in a rhetorical flourish that is so characteristic of Edwards. Here's a little excerpt. Their hearts shall be full of love in heaven. That which was in the heart on earth as but a grain of mustard seed shall be as a great tree in heaven. The soul that in this world had only a little spark of divine love in it in heaven shall be, as it were, turned into a bright and ardent flame like the sun in its fullest brightness when it has no spot upon it. He's talking about expansiveness, you know, I love how David Filson ministers at a gravesite. David always reminds those who are remaining, those, the, the Marys and Marthas among us, that the deceased has not been buried, the deceased has been planted. You take a seed, it looks like this little harmless thing, but if you, if you take an apple seed, you plant it in the ground, it dies, it cracks open, and, and, and then it sprouts, and, and then it becomes a tree, and then it becomes an orchard, and then it becomes all kinds of orchards all over the place, and it has the potential to feed the whole world and solve, solve world hunger in one little seed. If that's what one little apple seed has the potential to be, what do you think your potential is as the crown of creation in glory? after you go into the ground, not, not to be buried, but to be planted for resurrection, what will you become? No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no longer groping blind on the floor, no wa- longer required to walk through life in the dark, no more conflict with self, with God or with other people. Having a world of love. He's the resurrection and the life. That's not just duration, it's also quality of life perfected and perpetual life forevermore. In 2008 alone, we've said many goodbyes. We've said goodbye to Susan, to Terry, to Chuck, to Gary, to Francis, to Gene, to Sam, to Ben, and to Don. And there will be others. None of them has been buried. All of them have been planted. All of them, their best days are still ahead of them.
All of us, our best days are still ahead with them. You know, Edwards continues, no moral or natural defect shall ever enter there. The heavenly paradise of love shall always be kept as in a perpetual spring without autumn or winter, where no frost shall blight or leaves decay and fall, but where every plant shall be in perpetual freshness and bloom and fragrance and beauty, always springing forth and always blossoming and always bearing fruit. This is just longhand for what Jesus said, I am making all things new. The verb there in the Greek is continual, all things new. Every day is newer than the one before. Every day you're younger than you were the day before. Every day you're stronger than the day you were before. Every day you're healthier than the day you were before, and so on and so on forever. Death in reverse, as Jeremy Casella likes to say. How do you get in on this? Same way Mary and Martha did. Do you believe this? I am the resurrection. Do you believe this? If you confess with your mouth, this is the closest thing to a Presbyterian altar call, altar call you'll ever get. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You bring nothing, he brings the rest. That's the deal. And the sure sign that you have believed is that you will rise. It says here that Mary rose, Martha rose, and instead of going away from Jesus, they both went toward Jesus. Remember, they did it before the miracle. They, were, they put no conditions on their worship. They went toward Jesus for his own sake and not as a means to an end. Do you believe? May it be so. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, give us faith. Thank you for being so honest with us in telling us that faith is a challenge, that it's the evidence of things that we hope for and it's being certain of things that we do not see. There, there is a sense, Lord, in which, like that dear mother of that young boy, you have remained silent in order to leave us groping in the dark a little bit. Not because you're against us, but because you're for us. Because we need to gain the strength that only you can give to walk in the dark as long as things are dark. Because how can we be the light of the world until we've learned to walk in the dark better than the rest of the world walks in the light? Father, you have opened our eyes. Just as you opened the eyes of the blind man, you have opened the eyes of our hearts. You've showed us the glory of the, the, the gospel. You've showed us our resources, the Holy Spirit, your word, the sacraments, the local church, the promise of a new heaven and a new earth, the certainty that no death of any believer in Christ is a burial. It's only a planting of a life that will grow and grow and grow forever and ever and ever. Father, teach us to live in that hope, we pray, and even now as we come to your table, we put bread in our mouths that something had to die in order to create, that seeds had to be cracked in order to, to make it 
that eggs had to die. And then we, we drink the fruit of the vine where, where grapes and grape seeds had to die in order for us to drink this life-giving drink. Lord, thank you that you're not just telling us what our hope is. Thank you that you're showing us. Give us hearts to believe it. In your name, amen.